You're listening to the Detroit Worldwide Podcast, where we highlight the stories of Native Detroiters that are doing great things in their community and using their impact across the globe. I'm Marquise Taylor. Welcome to the D. What up, though? Welcome to another installment of the Detroit Worldwide Podcast. I am Marquise Taylor, and on this week's edition of the podcast, we had the opportunity to sit down with Councilwoman Brittany Claybrooks, who is coming to us live from East Orange, New Jersey. This is our first public official joining us on the podcast. So needless to say, we are making history. Brittany's story is inspirational. The things that she's had to overcome to get to where she is now is simply a blessing. Not only that, she is also a graduate of Florida A&M where she completed her degree in healthcare management. And she is also a graduate of NYU, where she completed a degree in urban planning. We continue to add to our legacy by having HBCU graduates joining us on Detroit Worldwide. Brittany's story is no exception. Now, all of that being said, You have heard enough from me. So why don't we dive into the discussion that I had with the one and only Councilwoman Brittany Claybrooks. All right. This is Detroit Worldwide. And today we are making history. This is the first time that we have interviewed a public official I'm excited to be joined by this individual. I hear that they are doing some amazing things out in New Jersey. Joining us on the podcast today is Brittany Claybrooks. And in this particular episode, we are going to talk about a variety of things, including her lived experience growing up in the city of Detroit, as well as just some of the things she's been doing out east and other areas in between. So Brittany, Thank you so much for joining us on Detroit Worldwide. What up, though? Hey, what up, though? (laughs) (laughs) Yo, I don't hear that term as much anymore. You know, it's like only people from Detroit. Like, it's just a natural thing. Like, what up, though? You know, I have to remind myself sometimes when I hear it, like, not to be so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Brittany is going to have the opportunity to talk about the amazing work that she is doing. Again, she is out in New Jersey, East Orange, New Jersey, to be exact. And this is our first public official. So I'm excited to talk about that and as well as her background. So diving into our questions, I was wondering if you could begin by telling our listening audience more about yourself, including some of the work that you currently do. So, you know, as you stated, my name is Brittany Claybrooks. I am a councilwoman in the city of East Orange, New Jersey, where I represent the second war. And we like to say we're second to none because there are five wars in total. So we're really excited about the area we represent. I also am an urban planner. 
I serve as the economic development manager in the city of Plainfield, New Jersey. So I am just an all around public servant. I've worked in government since, you know, the start of my career or when I started really deciding what I wanted to do with my life early, right around about uh, 20. And it's just been an amazing thing. I also am one of 18 siblings, right? I grew up in just Wayne County in general, primarily between Inkster and Detroit, but Detroit is really, really special to my heart because all of my family is from there. I lived a few places in Detroit, but the place that's most special to me in the city is the 12th Street area, 12th Street Rosa Park. Mm-hmm. I lived on Claremont, right off the lot between Byron and the lot. And it's just been a really, really, you know, awesome, awesome experience to travel and do so many things. But, you know, at the end of the day, Detroit is my first love. And so I'm really, really excited to be here and talk about what that city meant. I think the biggest thing is people understanding, even as Detroit is changing and people are venturing out, what the city is and the culture and everything about it has shaped so many people just across the country. And so I'm really excited to share that. I'm excited for you to share it. So I know you spoke about the different places that you lived in the city as well as throughout the Metro Detroit area, but what did life mm-hmm. look like for you in the D? Well, it's, so it looked like a lot. It definitely didn't look like what life looks like for me now, right? So it was the journey. Uh, initially, I actually was what they considered an at-risk youth, right? So I was extremely, extremely off the rail and off track at the time. I, you know, at that time had been expelled from the Michigan public school system. Just the normal thing that may negatively shape a young person's life, you know, I think. So my parents, you know, had hard lives. I ended up going to foster care early on in my childhood and was eventually adopted and then returned to my biological family. And there's so much that happened in between that that caused me to be super angry. And I decided that I would do what everybody else was doing, fighting, you know, just being a young person in my environment. And then somewhere along the way, I was able to go back to school and I ended up having to make up classes. So I would do my homework at night so I could then go to the regular class in the daytime. And that for me was just a turning point. And it took me a while, really, to get it together, probably into my early 20s. But for me, it was a turning point where I said, you know what? I want to do better. I want better. And I can imagine better. And I don't know what better looks like, you know, for me. But I want better. And then in turn, I want better for my city. I want to impact the people around me. And at that time, you know, everything I ever wanted to do was in the city of Detroit. So when I left and went to college, I always wanted to go back. And I obviously, you tell God your plans and he'll laugh at them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I decided that I would make East Orange my home. However, life in Detroit for me, having it not be easy, right? Like one thing about people in Detroit, we grind. And having life not be easy for me when I got there and, you know, getting reacquainted with my biological parents who were just, you know, being released from, you know, their incarcerations and just... You know, like going through that, it really shaped who I am. And I don't really know where I would be without it. I really don't think I would go as hard as I do now if I didn't have that experience. And there's very few people that I meet that are like that. 
So, and I know that answers more than what you asked for, but sometimes I get caught up when I talk about it, right? It's hard to talk about life in Detroit without talking about what it did for you because we know that we have the vacant properties. We know that, you know, we go downtown to Hart Plaza and we did, I did all of those things, but life for me in Detroit, honestly, was just the same as it was for anybody else living there or so many other people living there just trying to make it, so... I appreciate that response because in many cases we are trying to make it. And I know Mm -hmm. for every person that we've had on this podcast, everybody has different lived experiences, but something you said earlier is about that grind. We know how to get it. We know how to grind. Mm -hmm. And we'll be Mm -hmm. talking about the way you've been grinding a little bit. So you're living in the D and then you leave Detroit to attend college. Yeah. And HBCU, FAMU to be exact. Yeah. So kind of give me your initial impression of FAMU and also what a community looked like for you early on. Mm, Okay. So a few things I want to make sure that I insert before I answer that. I left Detroit to go to Tallahassee, but not originally to go to FAMU. I attended Tallahassee Community College first. And I really got to Florida in a program. There was a retired police officer by the name of Mr. Brown. And a lot of people were going to Mr. Brown. He had an office like right on the border, right at Eight Mile where like Oak Park and Detroit meet. And so he would help families of first generation college students get their financial aid set up. And he would, you know, have a consultation session with you. And, you know, he would send a lot of kids to Tallahassee Community College or, you know, maybe, you know, whatever other school or to a community college in the state that you wanted to go to if you weren't ready. But that was based on the interview you had. So at the time, I was eligible to go to a plenty of universities. However, like given, you know, the lifestyle that I was living and how I might or might not adjust to college life, because I was an at-risk youth, so I was like always, you know, like the stability or living on campus versus having an apartment, being individual, it was something that he helped families realize was best for their kids. So I went to Tallahassee Community College and it was about 50 other kids in my cohort that went from Detroit. And so we all went there. Obviously the pressures of being from home didn't allow all of us to stay and make it through the graduation, but about six or seven of us stayed. So shout out to those of us who stuck together and we stayed and, you know, we stuck it out. But then after graduating with my associate's degree from the community college, I transferred to Florida a University. While I was at the community college, all the activities and stuff that I did was at Florida a So by the time I had transferred to Florida a and I was already in an organization. I had, you know, joined a modeling troupe. I had, you know, had a church and already involved in that church. Like the young adult place to be at church on a Sunday was the Baptist church that I was going to, Jacob Chapel. And so I was already immersed in the family community. But the other part of that was my best friends from college, like in college, my roommates, the people who I spent time with were already from Detroit because we were all in that same cohort together. And so we got saved together. You know, one of my roommates and I got baptized together. We, you know, looked out for each other. If you had to meet and I had to side, we was meeting at somebody's apartment you know, swapping out meals and, you know, breaking bread together and using our food stamp card to go grocery shopping with each other and things like that, because we understood that that's what the community was about. And we really bonded around being from home. 
when you're leaving home, a part of it is trying to get out of the mindset and trying to, you know, adapt to other places, particularly those that are not as urban. So Tallahassee wasn't what we were used to because Tallahassee was a lot slower. Uh, we just understood each other. We understood we needed to go to a company island and how whack it was that we didn't have access to it. You know what I'm saying? We understood all of that, the zit and all that stuff. So it made me feel very comfortable to, and hip rolling and all, all these things that, you know, made up who we were. It was super comfortable for me to navigate that space. Being at an HBCU wasn't unusual for us because, as you know, we came from a city that was heavily African-American. So all you're doing at FAMU, what that taught me was, even in being African-American, at this particular institution is invested in you being excellent in African-American. So while things may be urban, right? You may come from an urban environment. That's not all it is to the African-American experience. There's excellence that's synonymous with being Black too. And so it gave me the other side of what that looked like. It's okay to be urban. It's okay to be from Detroit. And it's also okay to be smart and be a healthcare management major and be in a pre-biology program and be, you know, an SGA and be a senator and run a $3 million budget. And you can be all those things and that be okay. And so that gave me the pride that I needed and I didn't have to feel inferior when I went around people that didn't look like me because I knew that excellence also meant that I can be excellent and African-American at the same time. You know, it is so much to unpack there and and just kind of standing out, but in a good way, though, that you were able to build community with your roommates and that you all were known as the Detroit girls and mm-hmm. really just that black excellence that I think. And for many people who've been on the podcast, it was instilled in us early on being in Detroit. We were able to see the good, bad and the ugly but then mm-hmm. some of that stuff over to Tallahassee and in particular fam, you, you being able to apply that. So, which kind of goes to my next question. In what ways do you feel like you were able to grow as both a leader and as a black woman during your time at fam, you? Cool. I don't think we have enough time on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe give me the abbreviated version. Well, <laughs> I'm going to give you an abbreviated version. So three of the most proudest parts of my family experience are four. One, I was able to be comfortable, like grow into myself and be comfortable with who I was. So that's what family taught me to do. Taught me to get up every day and go back and try again, like in my appearance and just who I was. It pushed me outside of my comfort zone. And then the second part was I developed my relationship with God in college. So I decided that I would be saved for myself. And you know, one thing about Detroit, all the gospel music comes out of there. We got all the big churches, perfecting straight gate, second Ebenezer, greater grace, tabernacle back. We got all the big, like, you know, it's one on every corner and we got the major ones. We have a gospel artist. And if you need good gospel music, you got to come to our city. And even with all of that around, there were so many other influences that would pull you away from a relationship with God as well. And so when I got to Tallahassee, I was able to really give my life over to God and say, you know what? I'm doing this my way, but I'm somewhere different. This environment is not the same. But one thing I know is that church is where people go when they need help. I don't know what kind of help I need. I don't know where life is taking me, but I'm a fish out of water right now. You know, I don't see abandoned houses. I don't see, this is different for me. I don't know what to do, how to navigate. And so I gave my life to Christ at that time. And that was probably the best decision I ever made. And I thank my family experience in Tallahassee. The third thing was I started therapy 
at Florida a and And so I realized that even though I was living my life every day, like I was going to be, you know, I always wanted to buy Herman Kiefer and turn it into a, a community center. That has not happened. But a, a secret, a deep down secret of mine is that I always wanted to buy a Herman Kiefer and turn it into a community center where people on probation and folks who were trying to get jobs could be trained and, you know, have trade skills. And we would have a daycare there where people, you know, could have childcare while they're in school. And I always had a vision for that because I grew up across the street from Herman Kiefer. So it's like, you know, I was looking at it every day, like, I wonder what this could be if, you know, people could really come here and get trained and all this stuff. And so I was working towards that in college. And I got up every day with that vision in mind. But it taught me also that I had experienced some things back at home that were traumatic and that were not normal. And as I began to interact with other people and meet other people, it became more apparent that I needed to work as much on my personhood as I was on my career and my grounding. And so I started therapy and that was one of the best decisions at Sunshine Manor. Shout out to Sunshine Manor. And, And so that was another thing that it helped me and I began to grow from there. And then the last two things was I was a dream defender where we were protesting, trying to get stand your ground law abolished in the state of Florida after Trayvon Martin was killed. So I was very, very involved and active in that. And I became a senior senator as well in SGA where we allocated all of the students' dollars to different activities. And so that really gave me, you know, my foundation of where I am now, because that's literally what the city council does. We determine where the money's we, we look at programs and we look at what the administration is doing and we're saying, is this the best thing for our community? We're going to put our money where the help is and where, where the need is. And so that's where, you know, I really got my training. I also worked for the state of Florida when I was there. Congressman Al Lawson now was a senator at the time. He went to Florida A&M. I worked on this campaign. And so everything that I am as a public servant started at FAMU and in the city of Tallahassee at a very young age. And so it really shaped who I am. Detroit, I have a thing on my Instagram that says Detroit made me, Tallahassee saved me, you know, DC trained me and like New Jersey, you know, basically just paid me and made everything paid off in the state of New Jersey. But at each step of the way, each of those places inspired me. Yeah, I mean, you got some stuff going on there. A lot of good things. <laughs> and I'm just so immersed in your story. But I do want to um, get to the next question. And that question is, where did life take you after you completed your degree at FAMU? I went to Washington, D.C. <laughs> I had the opportunity of coming up during Obama years. So, like, at that time, in America, everybody was just so... It seemed like the mood in America was just different at the time. Like, everything was just so different. And I got a chance to go to Washington, D.C. and be a part of the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation internship program. They have an Emerging Leaders Internship and Fellowship Program. And I actually, the funny thing is, I submitted to be in Congressman John Hire's office at that time. Because again, everything about who I was was all about the 313 period. You know, I was devastated when I had to change my number. To 850. But at that time, I wanted to be in Congressman Conyers' office. But they ran my resume and sent me a letter back and said, No, we're going to place you in the office of Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi. And so that was like all God. 
it was like all God. And so I had the opportunity to work on the house floor and, you know, work in the cloakroom at the time. And the cloakroom really is just, there's the house floor and then there are meeting rooms. It was a really awesome experience because you got a chance to interact with folks and, you know, be on the house floor and, you know, get to interact with so many people in Congress. And I remember going in the bathroom because we got to share bathroom, the interns. There were only two interns. At the time, I was only the second intern to really take that role in that program. And so we had to go, it, depending on how crazy things were that day, you had to use the same bathroom that was only reserved for Congress people. And so I remember just going in the bathroom one day and shout out to our internship managers who were there, Ms. Rose and all the folks there. I remember going to the bathroom and telling myself, like, I can't believe this. Like me, like me, the little girl from fighting in school. I'm here. And like, am I like worthy of this? Like, I just remember not even feeling like I could do it or just feeling like, wow. This is the thing. I talked to my father that day and he was like, first of all, you need to get it because you deserve to be there. This is where you're supposed to be. And I just remember being so grateful for the opportunity to do that. And at that time, you couldn't have told me that I would be elected myself at all. Like it was not in my plans to be elected. But that experience taught me that you can get a degree and you can have a good job, but then you also can aim higher. Because at that time I had got to work on Obamacare where we were enrolling people for affordable health care insurance throughout the state of Virginia. After I left my internship, I got a job with Young Invincibles who had that contract and we were doing that work and fighting to get people insurance and all these different things. And I, I met the president, you know, once or twice. It wasn't uncommon to see the motorcade pass or them to block off the streets. I lived right on Capitol Hill. So, you know, there were some really heavy things happening. The Keystone Pipeline in Congress was happening at the time. I got a chance to witness that. I got a chance to, you know, really just be around some heavy hitting folks going to the CBC gala and sitting within arm's reach of like, you know, Stevie Wonder and Nia Long and people who were, you know, influential and just being a normal part of the crowd. That's what taught me that, wait a minute, you've, you've come far, but you still can aim for some more stuff. Like, this is real for you. It's not just about going to school. You can aim past this. And so that's what DC really did for me. And then once our contract ended and the Obama administration was leaving, which we were all sad about, boo. But I had the opportunity to go to grad school at New York University. And for me, it took for me to sit down and say, of all these experiences I've had, what is it that you want to do? You've tried to impact the world of having these jobs and being around all these influential people, but how do you want to impact the world individually? What is it that you want to do? And I chose to go back to school for urban planning. If we can impact the cities that people live in, maybe we can change their trajectory if it's true that where you live is, is important. And I thought about my own experience and looking at once you cross the Detroit city line, things look completely different. I started to realize that the cities where people live really impact who they were and the resources. So I chose to take a, a shift and study cities. Mm. So that's where I went to NYU and that's how I got up here to the East Coast. It kind of took a windy road, but it all makes sense to me now. At the time, it didn't make sense. I was just doing what I felt like God was leading me to do. You know, Brittany, so much about your story fascinates me. I'm living vicariously through you, just giving everything that you <laughs> no, said to this point. 
Imagine how I felt though. Think about like, you know, you go from trying to figure out how you're going to get back in high school mm-hmm. to, you know, get an opportunity to organization, Young Invincible, shout out to them, like the National Millennial Organization I work for. Amazing. I have some amazing mentors from there. Kaisa, Dani, and, you know, Sade Musami Gray and Christina Rivera and, and you know, Aaron Hemlin and Jasmine Hicks and like all these different people that poured, Maani Stewart that poured into me at that time. Like we, we were really doing some heavy work and we didn't realize at the time because it was hard work. People looked at, you know, the Affordable Care Act. It's like, oh, I'm going to get insurance now. But being on the ground, actually getting people enrolled and, you know, teaching people what the marketplace was. And I got a chance to go to the White House and watch the president welcome the Canadian president here. And I was right there in the backyard. Like, I could not believe that I was in the White House backyard while President Obama was in office. People were talking to us and it was just, you know, an amazing, amazing, amazing experience. I got to see Mr. Obama in person for like the third time. And for me as a 24-year-old person, at the time it was happening, I just remember feeling like I can't believe that this is happening. And other people saw it, but I just couldn't see it because all I kept thinking about is who I was and where I came from and what I had seen and how most times those two things don't mix. They don't add up. You don't come from here and you don't hear people experiencing these things. So I felt super honored and super grateful. Uh, You leave D.C., Mm-hmm. Go to New York and you complete your graduate degree. Mm-hmm. So all of those things are happening. Now, last year, you had a very monumental thing happen to you. You were elected <laughs> to East Orange, New Jersey City Council in 2019. Yes. Could you describe yes. the feeling of being elected into public office and what it means to serve the community? Oh my God. <laughs> First of all, the first, the only word that comes with that is just privilege, grateful, honored, you know, heavy, right? So there, like, there are there are very few words to describe it, but those are probably the things that come to mind. Because one, 2019 was just a crazy year. So I was graduating, I was becoming the AKA, and I was running a campaign at the same time. At the very same time, I became an AKA on May 19th. I graduated on May 22nd. The primary election was, I think, June 6th. So all of this is happening to me at the same time. And a lot of people were looking at the the celebrations, but all I continued to think about and what I cried about the most was the journey. Because people didn't see when, you know, I was traveling on the train back and forth to NYU and still happen to come back to East Orange and being involved in my community. They didn't see like staying up all night, you know, they didn't see, you know, the journey to AKA where, you know, I haven't wanted to be in the sorority for so long. They didn't, that folks didn't really see the, again, the grind part of it. So while the celebrations were for other people, when I was by myself in my room, you know, like when I got back to my apartment, I just remember crying and thanking God for the journey because all I had was flashbacks of where I started being at home just like closing my eyes thinking like it's something better I don't know what that better is I remember being in college writing proposals for community centers and I remember just being a part of that work I also remember 
being equally excited to go to the strip club and do all the things that other people did when we were young. And, you know, like, I remember those parts of my life where God spared me. I remember witnessing people maybe be shot. Like, I remember all of these things, you know, going to funerals and, you know, struggling with my mom and, you know, their stories and my parents' stories. And so I don't really know that I celebrated the actual win, the wins that I had that year, more than I did the, the journey to get in there. So that's what the feeling more so feels like. And, you know, on swearing in day is when it really hit me that I had, that I was celebrating this because my family came up from Detroit and they got to see me graduate and they got to see me get sworn in and do things that our family has never done on either side, whether it's my adopted side or my biological side. And so I think those feelings of gratitude turn into motivation and then ultimately just a daily grind of what is it that we're going to attack so that people can live better, right? Whether it's here, whether it's home, even being on this podcast, in my opinion, just talking about what it was like to grow up in the city of Detroit and just in Wayne County and Easter and like be living where I'm at now, it doesn't take away from, you know, the passion that I have for my city, even though I chose somewhere else to be home. Sometimes, Honestly, those of us who know Detroit as it was, we may not even know how to appreciate Detroit as it is. Because if you seen downtown, it's so much different from what we knew, right? And it looks different. And just learning to accept that and unlearn the Detroit that we knew is a very hard spot to be in. So, you know, I'm grateful for what the city has done for me and, you know, how I came out of it. But I also am excited for where the city is going and for the people who will experience it moving forward. Because I chose, you know, where my home is going to be in my adult life. But, you know, and that's, and those are just all the feelings that I have, particularly being elected. Because you have to, I've never thought about being elected anywhere. I never even thought about doing my life's work anywhere outside the city of Detroit. Anybody would tell you, every paper I ever wrote, my grad school papers, everything was about the city that, you know, I came from. And so being here in these storms, this was the first place I felt like home, like that I could settle in and be at home that felt that same way as that city. And for me, that's so special because I never thought any other place would make me feel that way. You know, so I couldn't be more honored and privileged to be elected somewhere where I feel that same level of love and gratitude, you know? Wow, I mean, throughout this conversation, your story, where you've been to what you're doing now, so inspiring. And thank you. I mean, you, God has really used you. I don't know what else to say than thank to say you so that. Much. <laughs> <laughs> really all him. It is all him, period. Now, we are heading into the home stretch. And before we do that, Brittany, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Much appreciated taking the time out of your busy schedule. One of my favorite segments on the podcast is music and everybody who comes on Detroit Worldwide I ask them this following question if they had to identify a song in their opinion that best represents Detroit what would that song be so Councilwoman Brittany Claybrooks I asked you for your response hit me <laughs> <laughs> it's so many because I have like I have you know favorite artists like you know I swear Fezzo, Payroll, T. Grizzly, Jay Reed, 
is another one that people have to get to know. He's out in LA, but I love him, love him, love him. But I can't really represent my city without like Cheddar Boys. Like, would you boss up and get this money? Period. Like, dance, the song. Like, there's no person in the city of Detroit or in Wayne County or just if you are from the state of Michigan, like, in addition to you grabbing, you know, solidifying it with the pair of Cartier's, you need to know that song and that dance. And that's something that, for me, it just represents as well. Now, does it allude to some of the things that we are growing away from? Possibly. But is it our song? Is it who we are? Absolutely. And so <laughs> I think I would have to say that song for me. What's funny about that song, first of all, thank you for sharing. I think I've gotten that song at least three or four times from people. So... That's dope that we can kind of identify with that song and people who've been on this podcast, like they feel the same way about it. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think another song too, like the, a newer song, I was listening to it on the way here, which was What Your City Like with Lil Durk and T Grizzly. And they were going back and forth sharing, like talking about Chicago and Detroit. And it's just funny to hear, like, in a modern song, somebody talking about what it is and like, for Detroit and Chicago to collaborate on that song, you know, for us, how big that is because it's Detroit mm -hmm. Chicago. <laughs> you know, and there's always a comparison there. And to hear that collaboration and be listening the whole time, like, that's Detroit right there, you know, riding in New Jersey is, it's just a sense of home for me. So that's a more modern one that I like, but no other song represents. <laughs> <laughs> I can dig that. So, what does the future look like for you, Brittany? Like, you got all this amazing things going on, but what's next? Ooh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I do not know. I do not know. But I'm also a firm believer in give 100% of what you got to where you at until God tells you differently. Mm. And so when I was working as an apartment maintenance staff at Seminole Grand in Tallahassee, Florida, and working as a math tutor, I wasn't necessarily thinking about what the exact next move would be. I just was doing what I needed to do and planning for the just the next day or the next month, you know, or just through the end of the year in what I was doing. And then every time God sent something and it was the right thing to do, then I was able to just go into that and give 100% to that. Where can people find you on the social media space if they want to get in contact with you? Yeah, I am so boring on social media. <laughs> So on social media, uh, my Instagram is Brittany Claybrooks underscore regular name. That's where I kind of share a lot of, of, you know, what's going on. Facebook, just Brittany D. Claybrooks. Twitter, Claybrooks. I spend time on those platforms. LinkedIn is Brittany, Brittany D. Claybrooks. Since I've been working so hard, you know, we, we post important things and, you know, make sure that we're keeping folks updated about what's going on in the city. And, you know, just different stuff. But are, those are the places you can find me. And then if you want to shoot a quick email, you can send it to Brittany.Claybrooks at eastorange.nj.gov. Or just call up to our office, our city council office. We have staff here that will, you know, assist you. But I'm really just living a regular, <laughs> you know, regular life trying to do what God told me to do. That's I it. Feel, I feel that. I feel that. So again, this has been fun and I want to get to this final question. 
And that final question is, what does Detroit mean to you? Everything. That's it. Everything. It's, it's, it's who I am. Regardless of where I am, it doesn't matter. It's who I am. It does not matter. It's literally who I am. I actually, and I carry it with me, literally carry it with me everywhere I go because I do have a Detroit tattoo. So it is, it's everything. It's everything. Not just Detroit, but just the Wayne County area. Just everything to me. It's everything that I am. Shout out to Inkster. Shout out to Highland Park. Shout out to, you know, Redford and River Rouge. And just shout out to that whole area. You know, it's, I don't know who I would be without it. So it's everything to me. Brittany, this has been fun. I am inspired. <laughs> I hope the people who listen to this episode are also inspired. So I just want to say thank you for all that you have blessed us with this episode. This was fun. Thank you oh for coming. Oh my God. Thank you for having me. Like I, when you reached out, I was like, me? Really? Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here because, you know, I don't want people to get it twisted. Like no matter where I go, be very clear that this is the city who made me who I am. If you want to know, well, I wonder what, how and why and what. Take a trip to the city of Detroit. Take a trip to Kingston. Take a trip up the lines. Just go to Fairlane Mall and you'll know who and why and how. You know, and I'm sure the same is for everybody else who's been on the show. Like, thank you for providing a platform where we can talk about this. You know, being away from the city and being away from home, like, one thing about us, we're prideful people. And so I just appreciate you for having this platform where those of us who are not physically in the city of Detroit can still reminisce and talk about what it means to us. And so shout out to you. I, I like wish the best for this platform and just everything that you're doing, because I'm really grateful to have been able to share this with you today. Well, I, I receive all of that, Brittany. Thank you so much. Of yeah, for sure. So on behalf of Brittany Claybrooks, I'm Marquise. This is Detroit Worldwide, and we're going to both holler at y'all on the other side. Peace. Loving what you're hearing? Then feel free to leave us feedback. Feedback can be posted online when listening to Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, feel free to leave a review as well. You can also find us on the gram at Detroit Worldwide Podcast and on Twitter at Detroit World Pod. This platform would not exist without your support. I thank you. <laughs>